Welcome back to the 50th episode of the Ladies Who Lunch podcast. (laughs) Today with me, I have an incredible woman who has done Porgy and Bess, a commercial jingle for Regina Comet, Sweeney Todd, Prince of Broadway, Life After, and Sister Act, just to name a few. I'd like to propose a toast. Here's to Brianna Marie Parham. Hi, Brianna. How are you? Hi, I'm fabulous. So... (laughs) How I know you is a little bit twofold. So when I first started the Ladies Who Lunch Instagram account, I was following a bunch of people to the point where Instagram said you cannot follow any more people today. <laughs> really? Oh my! God. I was like, I wasn't even aware that was a thing that could happen I, on Instagram. Was... Okay. And then you were one of the first people to follow me back, and I was like, oh, maybe we do have something here when we. <laughs> I was like people and then I remember I saw you posting about a show called Life After in and I was just like and I remember I was going to Chicago with my mom because my mom's a nurse and she was in a conference and so, and she had a conference so I just she paid for my plane ticket but otherwise everything else for her was paid meals oh, wow. room one of the benefits of having a parent who's a nurse <laughs> um and so like I went to New Orleans with her I went to California with her where she was where she was in a conference but I was busy just spending all my time in Disneyland um and so and so one I love hi mom love you um so I went to Chicago and originally I was so happy because I was like oh I'm gonna see My Fair Lady I was gonna see the My Fair Lady tour I was so excited I didn't get to see it on Broadway and then I looked at the calendar and I looked at the thing and we had missed it by a day a day a day the tour oh, my, with Bartlett oh, share we missed no. it we missed it by a day and then so um and so I was looking for other shows to do and it was like there was like there was um some play that just sounded long and boring there was then there was life after at the Goodman <laughs> it just it was that Steppenwolf and it was like I Fireboy like, oh, that was it. it no no there was somewhere else that was along but Choir Boy I was like, oh. I was like do I really want to be like a, a, a Choir Boy I just heard is like emotionally devastating sometimes like and i'm like i don't think i want to deal with that um and then because life after i came to life after, but also because one of the other major selling points was well i knew you were in and i was like okay let me go support someone who supported me very early on from because you were interacting with my posts Mm -hmm. and also i was just um and then i was also like oh well it's written by a woman it's like it was mostly women creative team and i was like and also another major selling point was i could bike to the theater from my hotel room oh wow because that's what i loved about chicago was i could bike I would bike all everywhere. I would I bike to the aquarium. I bike to the museum because we were like right on the waterfront mm-hmm. by the aquarium and the museum. And I was like, I was like, oh my god, because the sidewalks are massive, unlike New York. So you can actually bike and you can be like, excuse me, and like ring your bell, and then people will move <laughs> instead of you know like dodging and weaving, trying not to get hit by people. Hit by, like, and I was like, I was like, oh, this is so nice. Even when it was raining, like our first day there, I was like, this is so nice. I'm on a bike. It's all this. <laughs> Has you ever been to Chicago before? I have never been to Chicago before. Oh, wow. It's like, if if I wasn't in New York, I would live in Chicago for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah I'm, but I'm from the Midwest originally. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri originally, which is about eight hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to school in Bloomington, Illinois, which is two hours south. And so every break... Every field trip, every trip to the Steppenwolf or the Goodman, like we saw shows in Chicago constantly. 
all my friends live in Chicago and they all have left. Most of them have left the business and live in the suburbs now. And so when I go, it's like a homecoming, mm-hmm. but that city is absolutely like, it's like a clean New York. Oh yeah. It's so wonderful. It's so uh, wonderful. Yeah. I loved it there. I had so much fun. I was like, I was like, mom, whenever you're going to Chicago again, I just said, just assume I'm going. Oh yeah. It's like, <laughs> Because it was, like, and I only really stayed, like, in the waterfront area, but, like, so there's so much more to explore, but, like, I was just, like, I was, like, oh, my God, I love it there. But anyway, so I did, I saw you guys in life after. I remember I was just, I didn't know what to expect going into it because, you know, I knew the synopsis that was online, but it wasn't like there was a Wikipedia page or whatever where I could be, like, ooh, what's, like, where I could be, like, oh, who was in it? Um, (laughs) And then I remember I went and I was just, like, I was obsessed with you and I was obsessed with Jen Say Say. Oh, Jen Sessi. Yeah. Jen Sessi. Sorry, Sessi. Yeah. I was obsessed with the two of you because I was, and specifically one of the moments that I want to talk about later was I was obsessed with the, was it wallpaper? Was it yellow wallpaper? Uh, well, it, the number is called wallpaper, but it's, it's pink. The paper oh. was. <laughs> and I remember I messaged you afterwards and I was like that, like, I was like, oh my, I was like, cause that moment I was just like, I was like, we'll talk about it later. But yeah, I, cause I want, we need to get into the interview, but I'll talk about that later. Cause I have so many, like, it was so good. And I was following you ever since I tried to go down and see Sweeney Todd, but I just couldn't make it work. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I wanted to see it because when I saw the video of it, where it was like, where you guys were doing the thing, like where it was like the, op- like the end of the opening number, I was like, oh my God, this looks so good. They get all, they're hitting all the marks. They're doing all the, they're like, it's spooky. It's creepy, but it's also kind of sexy. And yes. I, was just like, <laughs> I was like, it looks so good. And then when I was looking at tickets, I was like, it was like, it was, oh, I was like, okay, I was like, we'll get this ticket. I was like, we're not paid until this day. I was like, we need to wait until we get paid. And then I went to get it and then the seat was gone. And I was like, no. Oh no. And the thing, the crazy thing about that is they had, the signature has great deals for like rush tickets, Mm -hmm. but I didn't figure that out until more than halfway through the run (laughs) that if people just came an hour before, there were usually some open seats um, sometimes a, a good amount that people could get for half the price. It was like $30. Yeah. And I didn't figure that out until late. So eventually I had people come at the last minute and they were able to get like $30 seats. But yeah, but for me, it's I just felt- like, cause it's such a journey to DC. It's like an hour and oh. a half train ride. Yeah. And then plus like a 30 minute Uber from DC to Arlington. I was just like, I was like, I was like, I was like, we're going to have to make peace that we're not seeing this. <laughs> absolutely i mean i'll tell you that the 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 uber is not that it's not quite 30 minutes it's about like 15 from the train station to arlington only because i've done it a lot um (laughs) but it is it is it's a whole thing you know going to dc it's it's close but you know what it's not that damn close it's no yeah yeah and like i live like i typically i get on like a 30 the street station at philly Mm-hmm. and then I just take the train down but sometimes you know like I was also I was like I was like you know what, with my luck if I go and I'm like okay we'll get there for an hour before is when it'll be like delay after delay after delay after because that was the one time when I went down I was meeting a friend I was like I hadn't seen him in forever and we were going I was going down for the weekend and it was like my train was supposed to be there at two mm-hmm. it did not arrive in Philly until six mm. well this you know this happened to Tom Tom says my is very good friends with Nate, my Sweeney. I love him, saw him in the color purple. Oh my gosh, yes. 
And Tom is an incredible, I mean, he's an incredible actor and he had come to see us on a Sunday and it just happened to be the one Sunday we canceled shows because too many people had called out um, and we didn't have enough coverage, internal coverage. So we ended up canceling a double show Sunday and Tom, of course, had come up. He'd done the whole trek. He'd done and early in the morning and then he got to the theater and got the alert that that the shows was were canceled and it was so um honestly embarrassing but um <laughs> he made it through but like that's live theater it happens it is it is and i got then i got to work with him on sister act he ended up being my monster oh, so it was perfect because i love <laughs> so first and foremost something i want to ask you is because you did poor game best so are you classically mm -hmm. trained I, so I went to this small liberal arts school called Illinois Westland, which mm -hmm. is in Bloomington, Illinois, literally nothing, nothing to do, but you are two hours south of Chicago and two hours from St. Louis. So it's in a good sort of location. I took a music, I did a musical theater, BFA musical theater major, but I took from voice from two opera singers who had trained in New York under this one person, Scott Flaherty, and they were teaching his technique, which is like the one voice technique, um, uh, speech level singing. So they were teaching it in our college. And so I took from them and because they were opera singers, you know, I started singing classically. I had always imitated the sounds, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, when you're a black woman in musical theater, people pigeon you, put, pigeonhole you into like, well, you're going to do the big belty roles, right? That's and literally Alice and Blackwell's are the same thing. Exactly. It's, it's just what you, you have to do, especially if you have a little meat on your bones. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you'll do the sort of, you know, big mama roles. I'm putting that yep. in quote. And I, and my, my musical theater director had said, you are not big and you're not skinny you're in the middle and you're going to have a harder longer mm -hmm. go of it and i didn't take offense to that at all he he set me up really nicely because he's like it's just gonna the journey's gonna be a little bit longer to where you want to go and he was totally right it's been a little long but like so rewarding so rewarding back to that so one of the things that helped me sort of like combat the idea that I was going to have this kind of hard journey is how can I be as well-rounded as possible so I started so I started taking from the opera teachers and they taught tried to teach musical theater singing and you know what they were really they were really good at it because it's all the same technique but um I had a lot of like classical art songs under them like you know arias that that's what i was really learning from them so i wouldn't say i'm classically trained but my teachers are all ex mm -hmm. okay gotcha so you also did so you did porgy and bess so mm -hmm. and i know i've had so i've had two alum from porgy and bess i had allison blackwell and i had nikki renee daniels oh yes 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 so what was the prop because i know allison was like talking about how all it was like she was like it was like all about like watching audra and norm like work together with the director and nikki she was all just like i was trying not to freak out about opening the show with summertime <laughs> so what what was yeah. the process like for you well i think it's funny because we were all 
so young at the time. I was 25, 26 when I started that. So in the same way that like Nikki was freaking out about starting the show, like I was freaking out because I was just on stage with Audra and I had to be her enemy. And I was like, but I love you. (laughs) So it was like, I had to really, I think a lot of the time before that people had said, oh, you, you kind of sound like Audra McDonald when you sing. And so I had kind of gone with that and leaned into that. And then when you're on stage with Audra and she's doing it, you're like, oh, I gotta, um, I gotta have a different sound because, because there's no one that's going to do her sound better than her. So then it became about finding my own, you know, who I was and my own sound in that classical piece. Um, The process was amazing. Probably one of my, favorite Broadway credits because I got to watch those people in the room. So you learn like, when is, when is it time to play? When is it time to make jokes? When is it time to work and take the job really seriously? Mm-hmm. You learn things like, what do you wear in rehearsal? So you're not, you know, uh, con- too conscious of like your, your pants riding down or a, a shirt riding up. Like it's like simple things like that which they don't really teach you in school, but to watch the pros do it, you kind of take note, like how do you act in rehearsal and how to be as, um, as proactive as you can in that space. And then once we moved on stage, it was a whirlwind. It was just a whirlwind. It, it, and especially with the Sondheim thing that happened and the letter that was written and before we got to Broadway, I mean, it just happened so fast and we learned a lot. We learned a lot. We were, I think we ran for like eight or nine months. It was a dream. It was a dream. It was like a masterclass every day. Didn't Barbara Streisand come and visit you guys? I think she did. Oh my God, I forgot about that. She did come. Like one of her few outings to a Broadway show. But she was obsessed with Audra, which, hello. <laughs> you know, you get it. But oh my, I've totally kind of like forgot about that because it was so long ago. But it's legendary. We had... We had so many legendary guests. I remember because David was famous, David Allen Greer. So mm-hmm. he, the biggest guest he had was Jim Carrey. And I lost my mind because I <gasps> love Jim Carrey. Lost my mind. Um, and then, of course, Audra brought in so many just people who respect and love her. Felicia Rashad came. Um, Carrie Washington came. Like It was just mm-hmm. like a lot of black Mm-hmm. Hollywood royalty as well, and 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 Norm was there, so it was just it, we had heavy hitters, and that was like every day was a parade of celebrities coming through, which was kind of like um, after midnight as well because yes. we had you know. So I've been very lucky to meet like the coolest people. I forgot to list after midnight when I did your promo. Oh, what's <laughs> that? You're- <laughs> <laughs> it's like I always try to like condense it to like five or six shows when I do the introduction. Well, I the introduction because it was some of my most recent stuff, which is I'm very, very proud of. Because when I talk about Porgy and Best, when you're 26 and you're on Broadway and you're in your second Broadway show opposite Audra and Norm and David and Natasha, you're just like, and like Josh Henry was, <laughs> what it, it, it was baby like Josh my, Henry. Baby Josh Henry is Jake. 
and that's my first thing with him. And I, it's just like to watch all of us kind of come into our own over the years has been really cool. But you're a baby and you're just kind of processing. I'm just so happy to be doing this for a living, not even thinking what an honor and what a feat it is. So people work their whole lives to get one credit. And to have that be my second show with those people's is an embarrassment of riches. So I yeah. So what was it? Yeah, what was it like when that letter from Sondheim got published? Oh, it was it, it was traumatic. It was traumatic. I didn't know that people had that kind of power. Um, and I guess if there's one person who has it, it's him. Um, but it was hard because we had not even started um, pr production of our show yet at ART. So we were still in rehearsal, but, you know, um, Susan Laurie Parks and Audra and, um, oh my God, Deidre, they had all been, and Diane had all kind of talked about the changes they were making on camera and, and had gotten out, of course, and I guess, Mr. Sondheim had saw it and was annoyed. I think that it was a piece that was really close to him. Mm -hmm. And he's a purist. And there are these people in the world, right? That they just want it as it was originally presented. And um, we had not even gotten a chance to work through the, the faulty ending. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we needed a moment to just see it up and go, oh, that's, that doesn't work at all. Mm -hmm. And which is what we eventually did. But unfortunately we were judged before that, which caused a lot of producers to back out um, at that, at the day that that letter came out. And that's traumatic because, you know, suddenly you're in this beautiful sort of bubble in rehearsal, having this gorgeous experience with all these people unpacking this huge piece. That's that is historically, you know, means a lot to a lot of people and trying to find what it means for you in at that time, was it 2012 to 2011? Um, and then to be interrupted from that with like the real world and this, mm -hmm. you know, this huge giant going, no. And then to have all your producers fly in and say, it's okay, we're still gonna start, you know. Um, but this is what happened. We've had a few producers pull out, blah, blah, blah. So that meant also when producers pull out, that means people have to take pay cuts because suddenly there's not as many people putting in money. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that was the reality of what happens. Those kinds of things, they have a lot of effects on people. Um, so it was, it was kind of traumatic, but I think we came out in the end uh, on top and I'm very proud of what, what we were able to make even yeah. Two Tonys. He won the best revival, Tony. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, that was, I think we were up against Follies that year. So it, it was kind of like we might, we felt like we might not win. But thankfully, who was it? Patty and um, what is his name? Uh, the child from Sun Sunday in the Park, Mandy Patinkin. Mandy. <laughs> yes, yes. They got up and said it and, it and they had come to see the show together. So oh, I yeah. kind of knew when they presented, I was like, I think this is going to be us. And we just, we we lost it. We were all in the basement of the Richard Rogers, just like living because we didn't, it wasn't guaranteed. It never is. But um, we had really come through a lot in the last year and, and it was ended up being so worth it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So now speaking, so we talked about Steven, you did Sweeney Todd. You yeah. did, from my count, two different productions, I think. Yes. The first one you did was that incredible production by Lonnie Price with Emma Thompson. Yes. 
which I remember I watched that someone uploaded it to YouTube and I watched it and I was obsessed. And I'm like, because I'm like, that is how you do a staged concert. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> I, and also, wait, now correct me if I'm wrong, but you understudied Audra? Or you? Yeah, so I actually, you could say that I shared the role is how gotcha. they put it. I was auditioned specifically to only share that role because she already had concert dates for that the Saturday, which we would have double shows. And I, at the time, was doing After Midnight on Broadway. So Telsey brought me in, Lonnie brought me in and said, we only want you to understudy Audra because you will have that Saturday on for both shows. Now, at the time, Audra was off doing concerts, of course. So I also set the show with the oh. cast. And we had two different casts. We had the, the, you know, our cast of professionals. And then we had a sort of rehearsal cast, uh, secondary rehearsal cast, which was the Pace, Pace Kids. And they were amazing. And they were so prepared. And, you know, they had, it was clear that they, had, they knew what an opportunity it was. So I, had a, I would be practicing sometimes with college students, but they were completely off book and they took it very seriously. <laughs> which is why I love the PACE program. But um, yeah, I set the show with Emma and Bren and and it, it was, that was also kind of unreal because like my first day of rehearsal, I remember I was drinking coffee and Emma was like, I want some. And she just took my cup and like started drinking it. And I was like, Emma Thompson's drinking my coffee. It was like, <laughs> and I'm still not over it. Um, but she was, they were all so kind and they knew like Brianna's only going to be here for Saturday. However, for a week, we're going to rehearse with her and she's going to set all the moves, all the rhythms. Then I went away and I would watch the show when it started Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then I went into the show on Saturday and, and it was like not hard because I had set it. So it was fine. But yeah, that and when you watch that production, you will only see Audra's face, but my body, they actually did film on my day as well for continuity reasons. So the body that you see is always mine, but the, they've made sure that it's her face in all of the stuff. So they so photoshopped like, Audra's face onto your body? Well, in some in some moments, some of the moments they used were actually her, but for for some of them it's my body. Like if you only see like the back of her moving. Oh, gotcha. That, that's me. Um, so they, they used all her close up shots, of course. But and that was a really cool experience because we had done Porgy and Best by then, and this was two years later, so we were working together again. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understudy her at all on Porgy. Um, so that was really cool to finally kind of walk in her footsteps. It's also really it's really hard. <laughs> And I'm good on never doing it again. But it was what it was. I mean, I feel like just odd, understanding someone like Audrey was just be like, well, I, at least it wasn't in like, at least it wasn't like Julie Andrews and Victor. At least it was before like that. Cause like when, like before they would announce it at the theater. So, you know, understudies be like, you know, like for Anne Renolfs and she said, she's like, ladies and gentlemen, like the announcer yeah. came home was like, ladies and gentlemen, the role is usually played by Dame Julie Andrews will now be played by Anne Renolfson. And she just said she would hear the entire audience go, Oh, yeah, and then the stage <laughs> member would be like, places. <laughs> yes, it's horrible. And this happened in After Midnight, too, because I was the cover for all the featured role, the featured mm -hmm. um, revolving star. 
So there was one day Fantasia, I think the only time I went on was one time when Fantasia was out and she had done, she did the longest with us because she opened the show. I think she was with us for like four months and then we started revolving, but people, they love their American Idol, honey. And Fanny's fans, they're loyal. So mm -hmm. I remember when they did announce that I would be on, it was like just this collective sigh, you know, it is. And I remember that happening during Porgy and Best too, but I didn't have to do it. Thank God. Um, Alicia Moran did it. And, and that it's just, it's hard walking in those big footsteps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, which is what I found funny because then when I recently, I saw, I saw Audra live for the first time in Ohio state murders. And I noticed they had zero understudies for her. Which I was like, I was like, I mean, I was like, you get to a certain point in your career, and also because it's literally, it's like, it's like, no one's coming. No, no, I don't mean this to be mean, but no one's coming to see Ohio State Murders. They're coming to see Audra. Like, <laughs> I mean, to be real, it's and it's such a heavy piece too. Like, it, it, she's the only one who could sell that kind of material eight shows a week, and I don't exactly. I saw that as well, and I was like, I don't know how she's living with this. You know, I sat like I was in like the third row. I was like, I was like, we're seeing Audra, and I was, but I was surprised because I only got it for like one hundred and fifty dollars. Well, like third row orchestra, right? It's that play, you know. I think I got it on TV. Oh no, no, I it, the same producer of Porgy and Bess. So it was Jeffrey, and he gave us some seats. Thank God, but and which was really cool to see. But it's just that material it was just heavy it was just really really heavy and mm -hmm. coming out of the pandemic as we know people are not really wanting to see heavy material no. light funny pop britney spears you know that kind of thing which there's a place for yes so but you also then you recently revisited it at signature you played yeah. mrs love it this time around yes so what was it like because typically you know the trajectory it's always mrs love it and then beggar woman not beggar woman <laughs> mrs love it um it was i was really really scared to be honest because i don't know any black women that have played this role and i know I that change that yeah for right right i'm hoping i have an idea i want to i want to have an idea i want to do with that that i that i find really fun <laughs> Okay, fabulous. I'll tell you afterwards. I wish you were a Broadway producer. Um, <laughs> no, it, it was it was really scary because I knew that everyone everyone has their ideas of what she should be and what they they like they prefer. You know, either Angela's or Emma's or you know Patty's or you know everybody has their preference. And I was just like, I'm not going to fit in any of those boxes, which is freeing and wonderful, but also really scary. And it ended up being fabulous i i got to work sarna lapine really just let me bring my full self to it mm -hmm. and i have all of the we all do and within us we have all of that darkness all of the we all have the ability to make people into meat pies okay especially now this world is <laughs> you know what it is. so you I, gotta pay the bill somehow and I was, I was like, oh, good, I get to access that person who I never get to do. Um, so that that was really amazing. And the response, I didn't know what people would think, but the response was great. So I, I, I'm very proud of myself that I got through that. Also, I, yeah. the show is hard to sing eight shows a week. It's like in this weird middle range. And, and then singing in an accent as well. It's it's harder than it looks. And also, Mrs. Lovett, what I learned is, 
I mean, of course there's a lot of words, but there's a lot of words in all Sondheim, right? Mm -hmm. But she is like the engine for everything. Nothing happens without her having the idea first. And that means that she talks constantly and you've got to motivate that. Why does she do that? And then also you have to actually like do it and then, and scream and then also turn around and sing kind of beautifully. Um, So it was, it was, I learned so much about myself and that's what I'm saying. Like, I can't wait till I'm working in New York again. However, I've had so many wonderful experiences regionally mm-hmm. that I didn't ever think I could do. And now I'm like, check, check, check. Like, oh, I can do, I am a hundred percent, you know who. So it's been- <laughs> That bitch. You understand. I didn't know if we could say it on the podcast. Oh, it's all right. We've, had, we've talked about Jillian Lynn's stories and her choreography for cats and how sexual it is. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> I'll just mark it as explicit when I, when we, when I release it. Great. Um, so yeah, it it has been a huge learning experience and that was really cool. I love that book. I love the book. Of course I love the music, but it is my number one musical. So getting to do that role was like, I was it because I was like, I was getting Sondheim overload because, you know, like after Sondheim died, it was like everyone and their mother was doing Sondheim and I was like, okay, well, most of the time it's not good. Um, um i just fooled us like i mean like people like i i stand behind that there are like there have been times where i've seen that i'm like um okay yeah when i saw you when i saw a signature it was like a breath of fresh air i was like well because that's what everyone and their mother was doing into the woods or sweeney todd mostly into the woods but sweeney todd as well Mm -hmm. and i was like when you guys did sweeney todd and i was like it was it was it got all the things that I look for in Sweeney Todd. It has like it was sharp. It was like inconspicuous. Sweet. It was quick. It was, it was you were getting to it all, and you can see my director brain in action now. It was getting to it. You were getting to all the point, but it was also because it's not supposed to sound pretty. Yes. And you guys were not afraid of not sounding pretty, like especially like when you know you're getting to the Sweeney Sweet. It's supposed to be like screeches. Yeah. on a factory whistle that's the whole point and like it's all right like, and like i was like sondheim wrote it not to be pretty so when it's done pretty i'm like you are missing the point and that's what i loved about the signature piece because you know it was it was fierce it was it was kind of creepy but it was like but it also because sweet how there is and some people might question this but there is this underlying like sexual like sexiness about it because like i mean like like mrs lovett what she was like mrs lovett like come on like she's like the vava voom she's got some vava voom if you want to do it that way like yeah, yeah. i mean and, i think people don't think about that though because of angela because she's the definitive right mm-hmm. and i think angela was like 51 when she did it but it's, and you she, don't have to be you like you can still be sexy at 51 you you absolutely can't now her makeup plot was giving clown doll you yes. know what i mean but that was also but, what how but i mean but i also still like i still felt like there was like a little bit like like whenever she was interacting with Mr. Todd, there was still like bits of sexiness. Like, I want you to be like, you do yeah. like a good story, and like- yeah, I think <clears throat> she should know her power of of her own sexuality, right? And that's always interesting to watch. And I I do think the movie actually Helen Bonham Carter. I thought she was, you know, of course, like her voice is just fine, but like mm-hmm. I actually thought the take on her, her costume, her whole spirit, right. Was- I loved I don't know why I know I get why people don't like the Sweeney Todd movie but I loved it because they did they were they really loved they really with Tim Burton he really dealt into like the horror of it the darkness I agree I agree I saw that movie three times in the theaters and I took my mom back to see it once I was obsessed and I just 
I think the important part of keeping musical theater alive and especially Sondheim is like making sure that you open the audience up every, you know, generation. These or every decade or so, people see a new version of Sondheim. Mm -hmm. New people can see themselves in it. That's how you keep it alive. And he was really good at that, um, Stephen Sondheim. It's like for Porgy and Best. <laughs> that wasn't his. Sorry. <laughs> that one really important time but with his own stuff like he lets people do their takes on it and whether it sounds the best or not he so that it can be out there and Mm -hmm. have a new audience and that's really important you can't be too much of a purist because it will die honey and no one will be listening to it because it's not relevant anymore or it's not politically correct or whatever. The fact that he let them do company the way that they did it, this revival and mm-hmm. switch, like that's huge. And many writers would not, composers would not want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is what's keeping it alive in 2023 because otherwise that piece is too, way too sexist to do now. Like it's not appropriate. So I don't know. I think I, I'm grateful to the movie industry for doing Sweeney with Johnny Depp and Helen because it was legendary. They and- were incredible. And I know people are like, but they're not really good singers. And I was like, okay, but here's a little secret. Sondheim isn't meant for singers. It's, I mean, it helps if you're a great. Boy. It helps if you're a great singer, but it's acting. Like Sondheim said, he's like, I'd rather have actors who sing than singers who act. Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like when I, when I got to do it, um, Mrs. Lovett, I was so proud because a lot of the reviews, I do read reviews because they are information for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think it's really cool to see like how people are taking in your performance and what you can do to tweak or change mm-hmm. from day to day. I think it's really cool, but I totally get people who don't um, read them. But a lot of them were saying like they were actually just more into my take on the character and not really talk about my singing which felt really good because that is on lock like we're good um but to to be told that i or to for people to say like she's really funny and she's inhabiting this role in a way that no one's ever done it before um that felt really really good oh my god like when i like that one video that i was talking about like i was like just in your feel like when you were just look when you just sat there and you just looked at Nate and you were just like Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like I was like I already know so much about her character just from that like five second thing. I was like, like I, I was like I already know so much. I was like because I was like it was perfect like uh, like a perfect for it naughty letter word that um <laughs> like I was like it was perfect. It was like it was like see ya, see you next Tuesday but like evil and it was like I was like oh I was like yes. Very old school like theater storyteller and i think you can you can there's so many ways to tell a story it's not just with your voice it's not just with it, it's with your body it's with your movements where where your character leads where their center is like i love all that kind of work um and i got we had so much time on it we had like four weeks of rehearsal three weeks of rehearsal which maybe doesn't seem like that much but it's swingy so you, you I mean, know for regional it's a lot i mean that's for regional it's a lot right because Sister Act was eight days and I about, yeah. <laughs> about that. But um but yeah, so we had time to like sit and do table work, which was like, who's doing table work on Sweeney Todd? It's great, it's necessary. Because otherwise people just go in doing what they've seen over the years. And with this one specifically with us being black, it was like, let's delve into that and let's use that. Yes. You know, and that was really 
cool because then you inhabit these characters in a way that no one can understand and they don't they maybe can't say what they're seeing but they can feel that it's like lived in in a way that is fresh so that was really cool i wish i do wish broadway would follow up just a little bit you know with some some like inventive casting at least but it is what it is. i'm go gonna go to oh feel about that i could I, go on a whole spiel about that and like or were they like or like there was a recent revival of a show i'm not gonna say which one but they were like but everyone was like oh they're doing such inventive casting and i was like okay like a little bit but they're not doing anything with who they cast yeah yeah and well and not, it's, all, like, it's that thing of knowing like if you're going to use diversity casting you make sure to you know put that in the show like exactly like for, yeah, like for me as a director, I always, um, just to go off on a quick feel, like I'm always, I always like to, whenever, I, I haven't worked with anyone, like per people of color, like in a major capacity, I've only directed one thing, but like, I always like, I always have ideas swirling in my head and I've always said that like, for like, people I'm always like, I always like, if ever I were to have a room like where like I specifically casted a person of color, in the show i was like i want to have a reason why i'm specifically looking for a person of color not to say okay we're looking for a person of color in this role just because we need a person of color wicked um um <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, there's a lot of people checking boxes and it's it, it's, to it's, me it's, it's yeah it's not yeah. about checking boxes it's about how can if we are like if i am going to be like specifically like okay i want a black person for this role why do i specifically want a black person for this role yeah yeah i mean i feel like post pandemic there's a lot of that happening and everybody feel everybody signed their pledges right so mm -hmm. doing this now we're doing different and it's like okay but let's not just like substitute a brown body in because it looks good or because you want to fill a quota let's like try to figure out what the story is does it it does it enrich the story it usually does and it, it's really frustrating when directors don't use that opportunity to do that. Because um, we have some of my dream directing projects after this, because <laughs> that's exactly what I'm like. I like to do because yeah. it's like, like if I ever had, like if I ever worked with, like, if, like, and I've talked about this before with some of my, like, like with some of the people that women that I've had on the podcast, and then just like friends who are yeah. people of color, like also like specifically like black. Like I've said, I've always said, like I was like, whenever like if we were to ever work on a show together, I said the first thing I would want to ask you, well, first two things I would want to ask you is first of all, I was like do we want to look at this through the lens of someone who is black or do we not want to like, or do we want to have it to be like Brandy Cinderella where it's not really addressed? Mm -hmm. And then um, I was like, and then the second thing I said, I said, if I said, what kind of hairstyle do you want? Do you want something more natural or do you want to not? And I don't mean that to be like, and I, I'm sorry, no. this across as mean, but I'm like, but to me, I'm like that then also it adds more, it like, cause then that adds two different questions because if they want say, to go with like a natural, and then I say that in air quotes, like if they want to have like braids or an Afro, there's a bunch of different questions about that that you can ask. So like, you're like, do like, why, like, why do they have this hairstyle? Is it because they're proud of who they are? Is it because just because it's I'm like, fuck it, it's the easiest thing to do. Or, or if, yeah. if they were like a wig, it's like, well, what kind of wig are they wearing? Like, how do they get to the, like, there's a whole bunch of other questions. I don't know. That just might be me, me being anal as a director, but I'm like, but to me, I'm like, it matters because hair is a very important thing, especially with black women. Mm -hmm. And because of how like, it's always viewed, it's like, it's like, for like a little better word it's like this mystical thing like for some people <laughs> well i think i think that's great and i think i wish more dire directors and you know 
I, I wish that they thought like that. It's, it's so specific. Specificity is really important. And with hair, especially for black women and, and brown women just in general, mm-hmm. we know what it is when you're perceived, like if you have natural curly hair mm-hmm. versus if you have like a straight weave or extensions or just blowouts, like look, look at how, I mean, we literally have a crown act in our, in our laws that so that people cannot be fired for having natural hair is something that's like, we have to live with every day. And it's a decision. So mm-hmm. in, when you're in theater and you're putting it into like a narrative, it needs to be purposeful. I totally agree. And, and, we have- yeah. and then there's also moments where it's like, well, what if this one, what if they're wearing a wig all the time? It's like, flat like regular like regular hair and then like there's this one scene where they take it off and their natural hair is revealed underneath and i was like well what is like what is it saying about like and it's just how i met a little things like that where i'm like, I'm, like do this more like because it's important yeah. i mean and also like even your way of saying it's flat like regular hair like that sorry, and i don't mean like sorry we're no, all no, speaking no. i yes. know i know <laughs> but this is like the way this is what you fight every day is sort of this European standard exactly, of, of yeah. that. And, and that is, can be, that story can be told in a show like, mm-hmm. or a film or whatever. Like we, when we were doing sister acts and I, we were looking at wigs and with the muni has a gr- an amazing woman, Kelly, who does all the wigs. And she, we were trying to figure out what the plot would be from Dolores at the beginning to the end. And I said, it, it needs to be similar to Whoopi Goldberg because she, her, the film did tell a story. She had big natural curls, almost Afro look in the beginning. And then as she has more success and gets more money, the look becomes very pressed out. This is mm-hmm. what it is when you are uh, this, what it, or at least what it was for the last, <laughs> I mean, hundred years, mm-hmm. like, this it's it means you have money it means you are able to adhere to the european standard and so i was like so definitely at the end she's going to have a fresh blowout it's going to be like big like and she was so super i mean she was so glad about that specificity but it's like yeah you have you have to tell that story and and luckily we can tell it but so many people don't want to deal with it like you said like they'd rather just ignore it you know oh, see that's i mean i'm so like when it comes like i remember I, re- I do the first thing i directed was this thing called sorry wrong number with a friend of mine madison alexander it was done via zoom because it was still over <laughs> the pandemic and stuff and i remember we literally like we would spend like because it was about this woman who has like a, an illness it's never really stated but i remember we spent like a solid like two weeks just talking about like before we even like we're bringing in other people to do it because i was like with like because it's essentially a one woman play with a bunch of featured roles Mm-hmm. um and um because it's an old radio play and i remember i was like we were talking about just the illness alone and then we spent like a solid like day and a half talking about costumes and like she would literally just like raided her mom's closet and her old costume it's <coughs> a lot of like and i was like and i was like i was like okay well what if i was like what if we raise like because like there was this one that was very low cut and i was like well what if we just raise it up a little bit i was like can we see that okay let's raise it up a little bit more now let's take it down a bit because i'm like it all matters because I was like, I was like, now, granted, now, and this is coming from the person who literally in high school would just wear sweatpants and a sweatshirt and just be like, that's a day. <laughs> and be like, no, Calyx, cool, great, that's that's a wrap. Um, <laughs> um, but like, I just for me, it's like directing. It's like you people are like, like I find that like some people like, especially that's just like, well, you're just nitpicking now about like how you want things. And I was like, but that's the point that you're supposed to be doing as a director. Yeah, yeah these characters. Well, your your job is to tell the story and inform our opinion of these characters so we need to know what choices they made in costume and hair and they need to they need 
to advance just like the storyline. So mm -hmm. I, I love that specificity and some, actually I've been really lucky to work with directors who care about that stuff, but I've watched a lot of recent shows where I'm like, Oh no, you didn't use anything. <laughs> you know, you didn't use what you had in front of you. Man, one show and that it, I'm thinking of that I'm not going to say. We're not going to say it. <laughs> I'll share after. I mean, I've said it publicly, but. <laughs> look, I, look, I try not to, especially now because theater is not back really you know mm -hmm. it, it the numbers say that it's like half back which mm -hmm. is not good enough and we'll be recovering from 2020 and 2021 for a long time but yes. so i try to just like find great things about each thing and, and there usually are amazing there's huge steps forward and then some taken back and i just don't really talk about those because because <laughs> Want people to come see theater you know at this point it's like you know what if y'all need to come see the britney spears musical go, go on and come if you want to see um the neil diamond go on and come because yeah. ultimately we're keeping this form yes. up, you mm -hmm. know and we've never had it threatened like in the last few years so i it i've grown up a lot when it comes to like running my mouth about mm -hmm. certain things that i I'm all, you know, I'm all, people know me to be very honest about how I feel and I will be at the kitchen table, but normally now I just keep it really positive mm -hmm. and light because we need these people, these butts in the seats, mm -hmm. you know, and there usually is something amazing about everything that's being produced. That's why it's on. So, you know, ultimately, yes, I want them to make different casting decisions than Sweeney Todd, but the ability the, the idea that we can even go in 2023 and sit in the lunt and watch that like an incredible production with that huge orchestra is like it ain't bad it ain't bad so you did prince of broadway in both yeah. japan and on broadway Mm -hmm. What was it like working on the show, especially considering it was Hal Prince's last show, but also getting to work with the incredible Susan Stroman? Oh my gosh. Well, what's funny is I had done a reading, like a, like a reading with stands with Susan Stroman, uh, maybe five or six years before that. And I was in the ensemble of this thing. I barely had any interaction with her, but I love the way she worked. And I remember I took a photo and I was like, I'm going to, and I told her, I'm going to work with you again. And then, so when Prince of Broadway happened, I showed her the photo and was like, look, it happened. <laughs> I got you. She was one of, I mean, she remains to be one of the most like, oh God, I think she's really good at her job. I think she's really good at directing like stylized stuff. Um, beautiful choreographer and really an, an amazing person. And her with Hal was like overwhelming. I mean, we all went to work kind of just knowing it was a very special time. And we knew how, like, how is, I think he, at, when he started, he was like 87 when we started that. I think he passed at 92. So we had like the last five years mm -hmm. with him. And and it was like, we knew this could be these, these, the last times he's doing this. And he, and I, he lived with such fervor and like zeal. He was in rehearsal every day, 10 o'clock ready, legs crossed, let's go. <laughs> like, and it's just working with that sort of legend. 
but with no ego, he had no ego. Um, and you know, from what I've heard, like he kind of grew, he may have had one at one time and grew out of that. But now he was just so grateful to be in the room, finally doing the piece. Cause I know it had clunked, clunked around for a while. Um, so he was just a dream. Him and Susan were amazing. And Susan, you know, as a female director, I, it's hard for female directors in this business. They do not get the, their due. They do not get as many opportunities. And um, they, a lot of people are threatened by like successful, smart women. Um, and so what I loved about Susan is she was also able to like shoot stern and firm and absolutely like a workhorse, but also on the flip side of that, very sweet and tender and kind and, you know, emotional. Um, she didn't lead with that, but she could very much be and was able to show it. So I love that. It taught me so much about how to be a boss in the room. Um, they both did. And also Jason was like, I was obsessed with Jason in high school and college. So oh, Jason to, Alexander. No, Jason. No. Brown. Oh, mm-hmm. I was obsessed. So like for me, I, it was a very big deal that I was working with him too. Cause I quoted him in my, in my scene first, my senior quote in my yearbook, like obsessed. So it, that experience was really, really special. And it will like, I'll always have a place for it. It's, it's like, I can't even believe it happened really, <laughs> you know? And it, again, I was not a child. I was, well, when we did that, I was 30. So yeah, it was, I was grown, but I was also like, that show kind of saved, just, it saved me in a lot of ways. So I'm really grateful for it. The whole five years, even doing it in Japan and then coming to Broadway two years later was like, uh, it was so wonderful. And to me, he kind of changed how his belief in me kind of changed the way the industry looked at me as well, which was really necessary. So so what was it like creating this, like doing this piece in Japan? Um, well, we were, so it, it was really interesting and really out of the box because we had a Japanese star named Rayon um, Yuzuki, who was uh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. She was like, uh, they kept saying she's like the Britney Spears of Japan, but I don't think, I don't think that's what she was. She's a huge to me, she's like a huge young star of Japanese theater. Um, and she had come from this troupe called the Takoratsuka, which is like the all-female acting troupe. Um, so when we were in Japan, we went to the Takoratsuka. They've been around for years. We went there, saw a show, and it's like the kind of thing where they're very reverent to musical theater and how Prince. They love how. And they loved us. So when we walked into the theater, we were given like a standing ovation. And like Rayon was with us. So they were like cameras out, like asking for autographs. It was, it was as if we were celebrities in Japan. That part was really cool. I had always wanted to go to Japan. So it was a bucket list. So I lived, we had a, we had a beautiful time. I love, I love that place. Um, so it was funny because it was like, I was combining this bucket list place, but also a bucket list uh, career moment. Um, so it did, it did feel like a dream. They treated us so well. It's the culture is wonderful and different there. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where like 
they applaud for 10 minutes after you perform, like just mm -hmm. 10 minutes straight. And you just have to stand there. And then like we would practice these things in Japanese that we would say at the end of the 10 minutes, just to let them know that we were grateful. It, you know, I had like little phrases I would say. It was, it was really interesting. And that will be forever imprinted in my DNA. But doing the show there was interesting. I'll, I will say creatively. The show there, we ended with Phantom because mm -hmm. they love Phantom of the Opera. Mm -hmm. And when we came here, they were like, we're not going to end with that. We're going to end with Cabaret because they understood just culturally where we placed Phantom, which obviously we love Phantom. It's, it ran for however many years. But we knew in this piece we were going to send, we were going to end Act One with Cabaret. And I remember Hal calling you know, because Hal would call an email constantly. And, and it was like, he, it was just like, he was your friend. Just, Hey, Brianna, just seeing how you are. And he called and said, I, if it's all right with you, I want to end act one with your cabaret. And I was like, is it all right with me? Like, <laughs> like, oh, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. It was wonderful. But like, it was interesting how we had, we geared certain things toward the audience there. And when we moved here, we just changed a few things around. When we rehearsed it here, I did another hundred people as well, but we ended up, we ended up cutting that like as soon as we got to Japan, just because it wasn't, it was the top of act one and it just was, it wasn't quite out of context. They wanted to move right into the couples and that mm -hmm. sequence. So for companies, so we, we just cut that one out, but like, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting process because we, we had to gear things toward the audiences there versus the audiences here. And then what was it like bringing that show to Broadway? I mean, we kind of knew it was going to happen. We, I think we thought it would happen the, the year after 2016, mm -hmm. but then there was so much going on in our politics and just, there was a lot happening. Um, so we were able to, we were able to wait another year, which actually was perfect. Cause then I got to go into book of Mormon for like nine months mm -hmm. and then, and then go right over to Prince of Broadway. It was a very like, that was an incredible year. And then that's also the year that I got engaged. So it was like, there's huge life shifts happening for me as well. And so that's why I'm like, the time was legendary and it's like, so in my heart because I grew so much as a person and as a performer, to be to consider like those people my peers to to get off the stage after cabaret every night and go take off the shoes and head upstairs and every time like every time Hal was there he would rush to the dressing room and talk to me mm -hmm. and as I took off my shoes and just go that was it that was the one you know like every time and like sometimes Daisy his daughter or you know Judy would come back as well like they were all just that, that that family is really really special and they're very old school when it comes to like the theater family they mm -hmm. just wrap you up and you're a part of it forever so like i'll still get uh, a christmas party invitation to the prince family you know christmas party mm -hmm. because once you're in they just don't let you go you're just a part of it forever and it's really it's really quite wonderful so um just I, I don't know even what to say other than that is just a dream. It's just a dream. The whole thing. 
you know, and that when, when he passed, Oh, it hurt me so bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure it hurt so many people cause he's so, he is why we envision theater the way we envision it. Right. Yes. Like, he is definitive and his uh, taste, he, he is a tastemaker. So like to have that person be so close, work so closely with that person. And then to, for them to leave this earth was like, I remember I was in bed for a day. I was so sad. And of course we knew it was going to like, he's had a long, beautiful mm-hmm. life, right? Like he wanted for nothing and we got everything we could from him. And it was just like Sondheim, like long, beautiful, successful life. But man, when you lose those giants, you know, there'll never be another like them. You know, mm-hmm. you will never be another creative producer who can get the money like Hal Prince with that mm-hmm. kind of vision. Nowadays, it's one or the other, and um, and and the, and they don't take risks like they did back then. Of course, the economy has changed, the world has changed, and risk taking, I get it, is hard. But you know, he had so many flops, and that was because he was willing to just invest in people you didn't know, in shows that maybe you didn't know that were weird that he believed in. So, I mean, I miss- is, yeah. Hal is like, and I mean, I just know that like, there's like something that I learned was like, he like helped like so many shows like get off the ground. Like, like the, he didn't end up staying with like, I know he started like, do, he started doing with the band's visit. And then I think he mm-hmm. stepped away from that. And like, I had no idea that he was part of that. Yeah, he was, I think he originally directed like a workshop of it. And I, I had talked to um, Ari about it, Ari Stachel about it. Because at one point, Vance Visit was next door to Prince of Broadway. So I remember that we went and saw Vance Visit, which is like one of my favorite theatrical experiences of the last, you know, five, ten years. But he, I remember him saying, yeah, him and Itai were like, yeah, he directed, how it directed like a very first workshop or second workshop of this. And they all kind of mutually knew it wasn't the right piece for him, Mm -hmm. but that, that it was like, even just doing that workshop with him left them with so much like, oh my God, we got to work with Hal Prince. Cause he's, a, he was a genius and he had an eye for certain, he had an eye for things that would move you, whether it was the lighting, whether it was holding your head a certain way. He, he was a great director for me cause I don't need a ton of direction. I do a lot of work on my own as an actor, but then if you give me just the slightest adjustment, I'm pretty quick and he didn't have to say much we understood each other to where it was like this is what this song is about and for cabaret it was like this woman makes the decision to have an abortion in this song so i am not looking for like it's great that you sing well but i'm looking for i want to see the decision Mm -hmm. and i want to see the fallout from that in the same song and i i had never been like I've never had that responsibility with that big of a song with this big of a team and, and to have him leading me and having so much confidence in me was like amazing. So, I mean, there's just never going to be another like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you recently, not recently, about two years ago, a year two, anyway, you did life after. Yeah. Um, which I remember I saw in Chicago and I was, I, loved it so what was your introduction to this piece Ooh, so i when i was on tour with falsettos i we had a sit down in la 
oh, wait a minute, we had a sit down in San Fran. And we, I remember we got in the car, my friend Audrey and I, who played the other lesbian from next door, and we went to go see um, Life After at the Globe. Oh, my and friend I, Danielle was in that. Danielle Williamson, yes. 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 Was the teacher in it. So she was Jen Sassy's part. And I remember being like, I didn't know anything. I was like you. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that my girl Emma, who was a swing on Prince of Broadway, was in this show. And I was like, and, and Mamie was doing it. And Mamie Paris is like my mm-hmm. sister, my Kansas City sister. And I was like, let me go see. And Mamie was playing the character that I would eventually play. She was the mother. I remember just being like, Oh my God, when I heard wallpaper and I remember thinking, okay, but realistically, if I ever do this show, it will only be as a teacher. Cause that's the role they've, they've made this the black role. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to uh, like t- top of 2020, they're going to do it at arena stage and I audition, but I video audition for it and I audition to be the teacher. So I do that stuff put it on tape then the production gets canceled of course because the shutdown and 2021 rolls around or 2020 top of 2022 rolls around and lynn shankle calls me the music arranger and she goes uh we've been trying to get you from your to your agents they've passed on this twice but i know you like the piece because i called her after i saw it at the old globe and said i i'm in love with this piece it's so quirky it's so real and grounded and it dealt with grief, which is a thing I know very well. And I just was like, I want to be a part of this. And so when she called me in 2022, I said, oh my gosh, this is a mistake. Yes, yes, I want to um, come in for it. And she's like, no, no, we just want to offer you. And I'm like, the teacher? And she's like, no, the mom. And I'm like, okay, so you're going a different way. <laughs> and she's like, and this was one of those cases where, and I don't know if it was the pandemic, but they were definitely coming out of it going, how can we open up this story to different people? So their choice was to have it be an interracial marriage, um, a black woman married to this white husband set in Canada still. Who, um, and he does or does not have an affair. It's sort of, sort of led to believe that he has an affair with this teacher and the fallout from that. And I thought it was amazing. And I am in an you know interracial marriage. So I was like, great. I get all of this sort of levels of this and I want to use that in the story. So we had an amazing time kind of unpacking what this was for our family unit, which was looked really different from Mamie and um, Brad, Bradley Dean. And uh, I forget the girl who did it. She was amazing at the globe. And at the time she was like a child for real, like 15 or 16. Um, so then when I got on board, it became Sammy Williams and Skylar Volpe were my daughters, which was hilarious because Skylar is only literally like six years younger than me, but, (laughs) but it was like, you know what? It's okay because I have like a wise old soul. So we'll make it work. Well, I mean, the Adams family, they had BB Newworth. They had, they had, um, Jackie Hoffman play BB Newworth's mother. And Jackie Hoffman is like 20 years younger than (laughs) BB. Hilarious hilarious but you know jackie hoffman she's got that thing Mm -hmm. about her (laughs) so it made sense anyway it ended up being a really beautiful experience but my first experience with it was absolutely seeing this flawless production at um 
at, at the globe and thinking if there's any way to be a part of this, I would love to just musically. Cause it's like a, it's almost like a chamber musical mm-hmm. and I'm a nerd. So I love unpacking that kind of stuff. And I love singing in a mix. And I love like, I just loved the idea of being able to bear my soul um, for this particular story. I think Britta is the right. The composer is incredible. And, you know, I just composer, excuse me. And, and book writer, she's, really out of this world so i'm glad you enjoyed it because it was probably one of my like most i'm it's one of the things i'm most proud of is originally is doing that role well i remember i remember i was so just in love with wallpaper because one of the things that i found incredible about your thing was that it was so real and it wasn't like it wasn't like an oh she's acting moment it was like I've had this exact conversation with my mom before. Not mm-hmm. so, not this exact one, but like something similar to this. Yeah. I've been in moments where there's a blow up and it's, we're talking about one thing, but there's really something else going on. And it was so, and I was like, I remember I was just like, it was like the exact tone, the exact inflection to where it wasn't, again, it wasn't like acting. It was literally, it was like, it was just, it was real. And I remember literally afterwards, I was like, oh, that was creepy. I was like, just because of how, like, how I was like, 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 I was transported. I was like, I was like, this is literally like me and my mom sometimes. We all have that, right? Like, we also forget how much our parents, especially our moms, hold, how much they do, how much goes unthanked, unrecognized. Like, women truly are the backbone. And I loved being able to see this woman hold it together so beautifully the whole show dealing with, you know, these sort of like teenagers who are running off at the mouth, who are ungrateful mm-hmm. and dealing with a what is perceived to be a kind of a, a husband who's not around, who may or may not be cheating on her and all signs point to yes. And having to, uphold this facade that he's a great man for her daughter's sake but actually if you just pull on the thread just a little mm-hmm. bit it's going to unravel and i love what britta wrote in that moment because it is it's it's like we're talking about painting this wall but painting the wall actually means so much more than that and it's about er- sort of erasing this man. But in order for me to do that, I have to actually tell you the truth, which is that I'm barely holding on and I have barely been holding on for these months. You know, I just thought it was such a real, it is such a real character and a real moment. And the way that it flows from dialogue to, to song back to dialogue, and then the painting scene of just, silence of painting i mean it was like so gratifying and so cathartic to do every night so i'm really happy you had that experience because and i feel like the audience did as well britta has this thing where she wants it all to go from one thing to the next she would love it if there were no applause breaks and i'm like britta so this is musical theater and like people love applause breaks Mm -hmm. they love buttons and it's a chance for them to rest from taking in the information mm-hmm. and a chance for them to say how they feel about it or don't feel like it's 
it's imperative just in the form of musical theater. And she didn't want any applause after wallpaper. But I have to say, when we would do it, we were so committed to that moment because all of us as Black women in different times, right? I'm giving geriatric millennial, but the <laughs> girls are giving, you know, you know, Skylar's giving young millennial and Sammy's giving Gen Z. And so all of us in those being Afro-Caribbean, African-American, interrate, you know, Skylar is mixed race. So it's like, we all understood the, the tenderness and like fragility of that moment. And, and so it was a lovely thing to do every night. Um, and we took it very seriously. And I think that moved a lot of people. Um, and so even though Britta didn't want the applause, it usually got it just because people needed to let that out. Mm -hmm. Because the whole time she's supposed, Britta and Lynn were like, we wanted to have a breakdown. We want her to be going, <laughs> like, so we want to hear her struggling to breathe, to get out these musical moments. And you feel that as an audience member. So at the end, you need to let that out as well. There were some days where I would hear like heaving in the audience. And it was just like, I love being a vessel for people to let that stuff out. Because we can't walk around with that. Lordy mm -hmm. Jesus, we can't walk around with it. So um, I, it was a, a that piece was a privilege. And I've just been trying to do like work that is like that, that moves people and that is important in some way like that. Even if the importance is just bringing laughter or bring, you know, Regina Comet was silly, but it was like, people needed to laugh. And that was the first off-Broadway show that came back after the pandemic. So we were nervous, but it was like, we have this responsibility to have something where people can come and just laugh for 90 minutes. And that was, that was a responsibility too. It was really, it was really cool. So I'm very grateful for these opportunities, especially in the last like five years, four or five mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just remember I was, I loved, I just, I loved that show so much. And it was so, and it was a, just like, it was a nice, like, it was a night, because it was a nice night for me to go see. Cause it was also like raining out. And it was also mm -hmm. like, so it was just like a night. Like, I, I, and also the Goodman is beautiful. Gorgeous. There, I mean, you know, that's a dream theater. Like, growing up in, uh, growing up in Kansas City, but then going to school in Illinois and going to see shows at the Goodman and Steppenwolf, I always was like, oh, when I worked at the Goodman or Steppenwolf, I've made it as an actor. That's how <laughs> and so when they offered me that after the workshop we did here, I was like, oh my God, it's happening. It's finally happening. I've made it. And you know, that's like a Lord, you know, whatever contract. It, it's not Broadway at all, but it to me, they do like really cool new work that matters. And clearly like um, that was that Sean Hayes show that just went to Broadway. Like, oh, um, Good Night Oscar or something. Good Night Oscar. Yes. I could not remember the name of that saved my life. Good Night Oscar went, that was right before us. And that went, and it's like, that's the kind of theater people should be seeing. Like the stuff that really reminds you why we were all inspired in the first place. And I was so blessed with good, when I was growing up, ragtime was hot, right? Mm -hmm. And now the kids have different stuff, but it was not necessarily, excuse me, not necessarily bad. It's just the art is different. And so, so is the craft within it. And, and so, you know, these kids are seeing more like Dear Evan Hansen or Be More Chill or stuff like that. And look, 
if it gets you into theater, I feel great about it. But mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm a part of stories that are really like that are cathartic for people because this is a hard time in the world and I want people to come in and go oh that was hard but I lost myself in that story and I feel better and I let something out you know whatever that story may be but I'm so glad you were moved by it and you know it was a hard show to sell in Chicago because Chicago is more provincial than New York or any coast right Mm -hmm. so like it, I think it took a little more for people to wrap their mind around this interracial relationship. Um, but then once they were on board, they were on board. It's just like, it's just interesting, you know? So I'm anxious to see if it happens and cross our fingers. Cause there has been a little movement. Um, if this comes in, like how the response will be. And it's, it's hard to say, cause it's, a, it's not necessarily an easy story, but it is, it has comedy in it and it has light moments, but it's definitely a family like dramedy. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the big, the big ideas of processing the loss of a loved one, especially a parent or a spouse, um, those are really big ideas. And I'm not sure like where we are, if we want to process those ideas, but we should be because it it gives less pain in the world, which I'm into. So we will see from Mm -hmm. your, from your lips to God's ear, will this be in New York? We will see. So. Lastly, I want to ask you about, speaking of interracial relationships, you, like you said, you're in an interracial marriage, and you yeah. host a podcast with your husband called The Swirl. Yes. How did this come about? Boredom. Um, <laughs> you understand. We were sitting, you know what happened? The pandemic. We were sitting at home, and we were looking at the, all the George Floyd, the the riots or the, the murder, of course. And then the, what happened after days and days of it. And it was really hard to process kind of like how it's hard to process what's happening in Israel, right? Cause he's mm-hmm. Jewish. What's happening with Israel and Palestine and that situation and the anti-Semitism that's going on it, as a direct result of it, not even there, just like here. And it, and, and the rise of it just over the last five, six years. So there are like these really big ideas that we have to help each other process. Mm -hmm. And I was in a weird place. I was like, "Mm, this is all going on. I'm really feeling my blackness and the feeling that we are, people are indifferent to our lives. And it's hard for me to talk to my white ass husband. Mm -hmm. And and so he just one day put on like a, a literal voice memo because we were having one of those conversations where I was trying to explain to him what I was feeling. Cause I knew I have to, if I can't talk to my husband about this, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And so he just put it on. And then the next thing I knew he had uploaded it as a podcast. And I was like, wait a minute, if you're going to do a podcast, we got to have a logo. We got to have a thing. <laughs> like, so we reached out to um, a friend of his, a writing partner of his for, with Disney, cause he writes songs for like s- several like Disney projects. And this guy had like, just like a track, uh, a trash track that actually sounded really cool and exactly up our alley. So we put, put it on there and like made it a whole commercial. And then every, you know, week or so we would just talk about what was happening in the world and how we were both processing it from different angles culturally mm-hmm. and, and generation generationally, cause my husband is 22 years older than me. So like mm-hmm. he's seen, mm-hmm, so he's seen a lot of 
he's seen a lot in this world that I, and, and he hasn't seen a lot. Like my generation, we've lived through September 11th and the, the stock market crash and the housing crisis and now a pandemic. And there are things that he never thought he would ever live through. Um, but he also lived through like Reagan and, you know, the eighties and the AIDS crisis. And so he has all of this insight and I have this different viewpoint being from my generation and it's really cool to chat about. And I, we, we just thought, well, why don't we just let people listen to how we both break down um, politically what's he's very into politics. Um, so he might as well be a, like an MSNBC pundit. So like, he would, and I never cared about what was like, I never cared about what was happening in the world. I'd be like, okay, I just turned the news off because it's too much. So he's really helped me sort of look into current events, what's happening mm -hmm. in the world, how they affect the life that I live. And I'm sort of opening his eyes to um, the, the, the new, what, what kids are talking about now, which when I do shows like Life After with these 23, 24 year olds, I learn it keeps me sort of fresh. Like, what is the link? It does. And what do, <laughs> what do the kids care about? Because I've got one foot in, in and one foot out of that. My cares are different because I'm trying to pay off student loans and st still and like stuff like that. These kids are thinking like, well, they're living through mass shootings and they're they're just getting to voting age and they're like they're, the issues are a little different and 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 like we're learning so the kids are keeping me on board with like pronouns and how to integrate it into my language because I'm just I'm just a little old so mm -hmm. it's like I have to it's a whole thing of relearning and it's not that hard of work it's just like you have to be diligent about it yes my generation I don't want to do and my husband's generation definitely don't want to do so it's just like but we work in an industry where we have to mm -hmm. so it's been really cool to kind of just like bounce stuff off each other so yeah on this podcast we we stopped it like 2022 we started in 2020 we did two seasons of it and we stopped it but he's begging me to come back to it and discuss mm -hmm issues and honestly even coming on this and talking to you is like kind of inspiring me to do it again because these vo your voice is important and mm -hmm. it needs to be heard and there needs it, even if there's just a little content out there we will understand how you look at the world and what's important to you even as like an aspiring director like it's it's necessary and especially with what's happening now um everywhere um, and, and what we have to deal with trauma-wise, mm -hmm. just as human beings in the world, um, I think it's probably important. So we probably will come back for like some bonus episodes because people have been asking. Um, but yeah, there's two seasons to catch up on. I think it's like 20, 18 to 20 episodes maybe. Um, so people should definitely tune into The Swirl. We call it The Swirl because of Wendy Williams because that's how she refers to any interracial couple. I love Wendy so much. So, I know, and I, I know everyone's like, everyone's like, she's so controversial. And I was like, but she was fun. She's so fun. Like, like you knew this woman has done very little rehearsal. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> she's just Dula Peep. Dula. <laughs> oh my god, we only call Dua Lipa Dula Peep. Like me and my husband, and we don't even really listen to her music. But every time, my husband will be like, "Well, what's Dula Peep doing?" And it's just so funny to me. <laughs> I also loved, I also, I loved, um, Norman, Norman, is that true? Or 
or or or allegedly allegedly we have to say allegedly or like she would like start singing a song then like the audience would sing along she'd be like stop because now we have to start paying <laughs> like that is just your average woman who lives in a nice home in jersey like we love her <laughs> <laughs> i also love i i loved her performance on the mass singer and love. she's such a fool she's such a fool <laughs> a little vampin <laughs> like i just I recorded her every day. And so any isms that she had, I would just kind of adopt. And the swirl stayed with us because it's so silly. And we also used to like, we used to get the ice cream cone with the chocolate and vanilla and like eat it together and take photos like idiots. So anyway, so we were like, we have to call it the swirl. So it's, is very fun. And, and, and it's also, you learn to learn a little bit just to see like how different people are viewing the world. Also, there's a lot of Midwestern listeners, also people in other countries. So it's cool to hear for them to hear like New York life because it's so different, right? Mm -hmm. Like even just even, but even your life in PA, like that's really different from someone in Kansas City, Missouri, you know? Mm -hmm. So that it, it's really, it's been cool to see like who's listening and what they're taking from it. And during the pandemic, we weren't doing nothing. So they were like, yeah, I put you in when I'm gardening outside, whatever. <laughs> it's very sweet. Yeah. So I, I just, yeah, oh, sorry, I'm thinking about Wendy Williams and I always keep saying how I want to see a, are you familiar <laughs> with um, the Jerry Springer opera? Of course. I always say that I want to see a production of that, but with Wendy Williams instead. <laughs> As, no, not the Anna Nicole part. No, as like, the, instead of it being Jerry Springer the opera, it would be Wendy Williams the opera. Oh my God, that would be trash. That but would be hilarious. I, I, I started watching her my um, sophomore year of college and I remember I like, literally kept it up. I'd be like, I have no idea who she's talking about because it would be like these rappers and I'm not a rap person. And, like she'd be like talking about these, or it's like, or like these real housewives or like love and hip hop. And I'd be like, I have no idea who you're talking about, but I am so invested. Same. Same. There would be guests where she'd have like their picture in the back and I'd be like, hm, I don't know who that is. Don't know who that is. <laughs> but what do you think of them? Because like, I just love her opinions. <laughs> have you ever wanted to if you ever want to kill somebody. Right. <laughs> the clap she if you can. ever, whatever, it takes me out. Just like, oh, wait, I watched this. Hold on. I do have to say this. So the other day, somebody had done this, like, compilation of Wendy moments. And there's one, it's a Halloween episode where someone in the audience has, like, this terrifying mask on. And she's doing her monologue, and she's like, who is that? She was like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? It takes me all the way out. <laughs> where she sees, like, what they're showing. And so she'll see it. And, like, there was this white thing where she was talking about, like, something, like, there was something about black people. And, like, you know, she's a black woman. And then yes, yes. it was, like, and then the cameraman put it on the black person. She goes, shitty cameraman zooming on <laughs> a black person. <laughs> my oh, Wendy is my everything. I miss, and look, Sherry's doing a great job. Actually, oh, yeah, I love I just started watching Sherry because, you know, for a while I was like, I can't, I can't, I miss my girl. But <laughs> I will say she did that Beyonce episode um, for Halloween recently mm -hmm. where she did like, you know, eight, eight of her Renaissance tour outfits. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I have, I have room for you. You're okay. <laughs> have you seen, I'll send you the videos of like, cause she did this like little documentary for when she was joining Chicago on Broadway. Um, Wendy? Yes. No, I have not. Oh I mean, my I God. It's so funny. 
<laughs> so oh, right, because she'll interrupt the thing and go, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> when you're good, do it. Like <laughs> Musically, trash. <laughs> and my favorite thing is they'll edit it so that way, like, because she had, like, a sinus infection or whatever, so she kept coughing, and she'd be like, <laughs> and you just, like. She needs Jesus. <laughs> I love her so much. My well, favorite is Yes, there. I'll, I'll tell this afterwards because we need to, we need to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, go I gotta get years. off this. It's two thirty six, my love. <laughs> Sorry, I know. It's we a pleasure. Up. No, I know, honey. We go on tangents. I just had I <laughs> three final questions for you. Oh, okay. First and foremost, where can the people find you online? Oh, you can find me at www.briannamarie.com. B r y o n h a Brian Ha Marie. <laughs> Um, is there anything you want to plug or promote? Okay. I will promote my husband. So my husband, I don't know if you know, but he's he's a writer. He's like a, a very good Broadway writer. Mm-hmm. He was one of the writers on Motown. And he's got a million mm-hmm. things. He's got three different plays that were just published by DPS. And he's got a show coming to Carnegie Hall, which I will be a part of. It's an Aaron's and Flaherty. Well, really, it's a Stephen Flaherty oh. tribute, but we're obviously we're going to be doing their music. Um, and the thing about Stephen Flaherty is he went to CCM with my husband and they love him there. So CCM put this whole thing together last year and now it's coming to Carnegie Hall on January 14th. Um, so as soon as tickets are available, which I think will be maybe in December, um, definitely check that out. I'll also be performing at Carnegie Hall in The Grapes of Wrath, the opera, Ricky Ian Gordon's opera, April 18th. Um, so definitely I'm going to plug those. Otherwise, honey, I don't know. We'll see. And then my final question for you is, is there a lady you would love to have lunch with? Um, it's going to be Lucille Ball for me. Really? Why? Oh, my God. I'm obsessed. First of all, what a warrior. Okay. We see I Love Lucy and we're like, she's funny. Great. And she's great at physical comedy. But actually, like, I've read a lot of her um like autobiographies Mm -hmm. and just to see like what she the adversity she came through Mm -hmm. and uh, how she managed to make a name for herself and you know run a studio essentially um is is really cool i think she's like a huge lesson in feminism and also just in like uh comedy and the genius of her comedy and i just I would sit down with her. Also, she's abroad. Like, she's basically <laughs> she's basically Joanne from Company, right? Um, except a model, a full model. So I would sit down with Lucille Ball, but I would actually sit down with her in the eighties when when it's the uh, that voice. <laughs> yeah, because I want to hear the stories with a little t- with a little distance from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So thank you so much again for joining me. It was so great chatting with you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye. So here's to the girls on the go. Everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know. Everybody dies A toast to that invincible bunch The dinosaurs surviving the crunch 
Let's hear it for the 